Hello, I'm Chiji. Hello, I'm Jonathan. Welcome to Reasoning with Chiji and John. Our goal is to explore the philosophical underpinnings of current events. A lot of people talk superficially about things that are going on today, but we really want to get to the to the root of the matter and see the philosophical questions that underpin our society today. And to add to Chiji's uh, excellent points, we want to provide an alternative to the polarized discourse that is happening right now. Uh, we want to put forward an evidence-based, uh, reason-based conversation about the important events and ideas that are shaping our own time. So this is a podcast about reasoning and thinking and thinking about thinking. And we hope you enjoy your journey with us. Okay. All right. So I guess uh, our talk for today is... Uh, what's wrong with political messaging? Yeah, what's wrong with political messaging? And also, uh, let's face it, it's uh, 2020. Uh, we know which election is coming up. It's the U.S. election. It'll determine whether uh, evil orange man will stay in office <laughs> or not. And, or, and whether we're going to be heading to a really dark passage uh, in U.S. history or the continuation of a very dark time in U.S. history with the evil orange man, <laughs> the evil orange Oompa Loompa, or if Oompa Loompa is going to be defeated, sent back to his uh, Trump Tower, and everything's going to be returned more or less back to normal. Uh, with a, a president that uh, doesn't tweet horrible things all the time. I don't know about returning back to normal. I think that's already out of the picture. Yeah. Whichever Sanders is looking like he's doing really well right now. Yeah. And that's not normal. So there's no returning to normal. You know, like the world has changed forever because Trump won the presidency. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he's polarized the political landscape in ways that... Uh, uh, we couldn't really fully anticipate, though. With Trump, it's interesting. Uh, you wonder, has the landscape already changed and that's why you have Trump? Or is Trump changing the landscape? Or is it a combination of both things, which is that the political landscape within the Republican Party has changed. And that made it possible for a Trump candidacy to succeed. And now that Trump is in the White House, uh, you see a uh, continued changes happening within uh, the Republican Party in particular where people who seem to be moderate and reasonable are adopting very extreme views because they're terrified of um, the Trump supporters throwing them out during primary season. And you also see the landscape at large changing because yeah. Trump has been in the White House for so long that, and, people, and there's so many people who can't stand Trump that they're going into the opposite extreme. Right. So I think uh, it's a, a little bit of both. I think we entered into the age of the internet troll a long time ago. Yeah. You know, when... You know, it just became fashionable to be mean, to be mean-spirited. And to, to be blunt. Yeah to, yeah, to be blunt. And we yeah. entered into that age a long time ago. Yeah. And I see in many ways Trump represents that that ideal of a mean person, yeah. blunt person who doesn't care about your feelings it's, in yeah. a sense. And also, I think that we, the world has also changed in a sense where ordinary people were, being, were tired of the elite, tired of, you know people who think you're smart dictating to us how we should live our lives you know coming up with new theories about our existence and beating us you know by with a stick telling us you know we're wicked we're racist we're this we're that we're that and so in the world in a sense the world changed and that's why we have trump but trump is also a unique person who is actively changing the world as he goes along 
So, you know, he's violating norms that nobody would have thought to violate. And mm. by violating those norms, he's testing the limits of the waters mm. and he's actually changing the world, yeah. setting precedents that would not have been set if yeah. he didn't go that far. And you so, uh, and what you rose was very uh, and you rose a very interesting point. And I'll add another point to that mm. just to elaborate on it, which is that really the Trump phenomenon probably could have been predicted 10 years earlier because you started seeing TV series like Hell's Kitchen where Gordon Ramsay was screaming <laughs> at all these incompetent cooks right. uh, in his kitchen and he was, um, he was throwing food everywhere and he was breaking uh, plates and, uh, glass, um, and glass cups. Even the and Apprentice, Trump's Apprentice yeah, show was yeah. just a mean spirit. That kind very of mean spirited. <laughs> uh, people do uh, willing to sell other people out in order to keep uh, stay on the show. Uh, you also see it with uh, the Bill Meyer show, which is also about being uh, blunt and about insulting other people. Yeah, like saying Sarah Palin comes from the the road show. Uh, she's like a uh, Republican uh, a milf. I don't know if that's going to be. <laughs> Answered in uh, when we do the edits. No. And um, yeah. So and then uh, and then uh, then you have Trump that represents that right. uh, wave, uh, in a way. Even though he's uh, he like he lives more than uh, most of the politicians did. I saw a Richard Dawkins tweet recently. Yeah. And he was making a poll like. Why are people so mean on the internet? <laughs> why are people so mean on the internet? And trying to come up with reasons why people are so mean nowadays. Yeah. And it made me laugh because Richard Dawkins was the first internet troll. He was the one who started the movement of meanness. Yeah. You know, you see videos of him at the time mock people, laugh at them, telling people to laugh and ridicule others because that is what's going to change yeah. other people. When people become ashamed to hold certain beliefs, hold certain positions, he was really, really mean. Yeah. And now, you know, he's, he's been at the end of the short end of that stick a lot, a lot of the time. Now he's tweeting and asking why people are so mean today. Yeah. You know, that well, was really, really funny. Yeah, Richard Dawkins <laughs> is like Pandora. Uh, he innocently opens up the box <laughs> and now he recoils as he sees what is... Uh, merged from that box. Right, right. But, uh, I mean, it's not just Richard Dawkins. It's, no. a, it's a number of different factors. There's also the fact that uh, you see a trend in the United States where people are getting their news not from uh, commercial news outlets like CNN or NBC or PBS, but they turn to Bob Maher for their news or they t uh, turn to Jim Stewart for their news. Right, right, right. And, and they forget that these people are entertainers. So, of course, they're not going to tell you the whole truth. Well, it's also that people have lost faith. Yeah. Lost faith in traditional institutes, institutions of information, academia, yeah. and the news organizations. And it's not for bad reasons either. Yeah. Because these people have put themselves out there as authorities, as elitists, you know, speaking over at people rather than to people. Yeah. You know, beating people all the time. Yeah. You know, forgetting that their position exists because people believe in them. 
you know, and so they have lost support among people, and people have turned to other people, other things yeah. as a source of information. Unfortunately, they're worse. <laughs> Alex well, Jones is not going to be the antidote to CNN. No, no, not not Alex Jones certainly, but yeah. a, a democratic process yeah. of information might be the antidote, and that democratic process might also include people like. Alex Jones, but it include people in the middle who are not that polarizing. So I, I don't know. I haven't made up my mind yet on what the end of age of how is the age will come out to be when it comes to information. But I think it's for good reason that people yeah. have rejected academia and rejected. Uh, traditional media organizations as authorities on yeah. on any subject. But the, the, the caveat is. After you reject uh, traditional news sources with good reason and you reject academia with good reason again, that means you have to assume more responsibility. Right, true. And true. be very careful in terms of deciding where you're going to get your information from. True, true. And you have to apply that same scrutiny that used to be applied by those more traditional sources. I sort of agree with you with academia as well because we were talking about Peter Pergosian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And about how uh, he took uh, passage out of Hitler's Mein Kampf. He, fill, uh, he uh, substituted a bunch of uh, feminist buzzwords in it. <laughs> got the thing published <laughs> in a very respectable journal uh, in gender studies. And it goes to show that um, there's been a certain rot that has been allowed to set in within academia, within... Uh, um, companies that publish journal articles. I think he even did worse than that. There were yeah. times he, he wrote non clearly nonsensical articles Absolutely. about maybe rape culture among dogs or yeah. some, some some clearly nonsensical articles. That got an award. <laughs> that got an award. You know, as trying to show the problem with the system. Yeah. And I think that he does an excellent job of showing that. And that's why people have good reason to reject these institutions because yeah. these institutions have an end power. Yeah. They have power to impose on the culture. And it's re revealed that this, these institutions are, are hmm. superficial. They're yeah. shallow. Yeah, absolutely. And same thing with the university uh, that uh, Peter Boghossian uh, belonged to. That university should have applauded what Peter Boghossian did because he was exposing the rot in the system. He was saying there was something wrong here. We need to raise academic standards and publish good work in these journal articles because people rely on those journal articles for info, uh, to, uh, to learn new things. Oh, yeah. And instead, what they did was they said, well, he violated certain research, research ethics <laughs> that involve human beings. Uh -huh. Whenever you have an experiment that involves human beings, you need to tell uh, the human beings that they're part of that experiment. But if he told the journal article editors <laughs> that he was sending a bunch of nonsense to them to see if they'll publish it, then, of course, they wouldn't publish it. True, and then uh, they would be able to uh, continue business as usual, continue uh, publishing nonsense, even though it's not the same nonsense that uh, Boghossian was the, submitting. The problem, though, it's results no in, in a place where I am now, where yeah. I'm, I'm skeptical of any study, yeah. any any anything that seems to confirm some biases that exist in culture today. So if yeah. you produce a study and I see it corresponds too closely yeah. with the bias of our culture, I begin to suspect that study. Yeah. Because I know that there's not not so much scrutiny. Because if it was something that you know was contradicting our culture's bias, yeah. uh, there'll be lots of outrage, there'll be lots of scrutiny. But yeah. it's something that corresponds so closely to our bias and yeah. everybody's pulling it out at every debate and saying, well, we were right all along. 
I'm, I'm really suspicious. And yeah. that's a problem. Yeah, you should be able to trust that's true. Uh, academics. And it's a bit like uh, when I hear um, presentations on diversity, uh, because I'm a little skeptical of them. Uh, I like diversity in the workplace, by the way, and I believe that... Uh, people of all kinds of backgrounds, uh, people of color, uh, people of different faiths, people of different cultures, um, if they have the uh, skills to do a job, they, are they should be hired. And um, they should be, um, and a career path should be provided for them so that they rise up in the organization. But I often hear, when I uh, hear many of these presentations on diversity, I hear a lot of buzzwords. I hear a lot about uh, diversity being treated very lightly in a high-level way by saying cultural diversity, uh, ethnic diversity, religious diversity, racial diversity, and no one uh, no one goes uh, beyond that by saying, okay, why are these things important? What will, what impact would that diversity have on our organization? How would our organization perform better as a result of diversity? This is a and uh, people don't ask these questions. Because uh, this subject is so uh, emotionally charged and they're worried about offending people. Huh. And so, uh, yeah, I see that too. Right. So to come back to the topic, though, yeah. the problem with today's political message, and I see a problem on both sides of the yeah. aisle. And I'm, I'm always wary of being both sides, you know, always seeing problems on both sides and trying to have the middle lane because the middle lane is not always right however right has a problem with you know mm -hmm. diversity it has a problem with reaching people who are non-white and a lot of immigrants are really religious people the latinos are usually a lot catholic africans tend to be really religious mm. and no matter where immigrants come from the world they're often more religious than people in the west and so they believe in hard work and individuality that you can achieve your dreams by working hard and people who perhaps even sometimes to extremes where they think people yeah. who are not successful or lazy or something like that. You know, they're really socially conservative. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they end up voting for the left because yeah. the right has has a, an image of being racist to them. Yeah. And so they can never vote for the right, even if they agree with every single policy. Reminded, me of, a, right. reminded me of a Bangladeshi international student I met years ago. And he was saying, yeah, the problem of Canada is its welfare program. Yeah, <laughs> because it encourages people to be lazy, right. of and you have to get, you and, you, and, you have to, and you have to encourage people to work hard, right. to pursue their dream, <laughs> get a job, support a family. And I was thinking, you hear that rhetoric all the time. If he gave, if, if he made that, made that presentation <laughs> to the um, cons uh, conservative uh, action uh, pack, uh, commit, uh, if he made it to the Republican Party, you'll get a, a widespread applause. They'll love this guy. <laughs> But uh, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, the uh, I think, and I think the uh, in a way, if the to speak to your point, if uh, conservative parties or like right wing parties just stuck to just promoting right wing ideas, I think they'll reach a lot more people. Right. And yet uh, they have this image that they are intolerant and racist. Maybe not and because they are many of the time. To yeah, be because many of them are. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that uh, that racism it sort of contradicts many of their right wing principles. Ironic. Right. So on the left, I see a similar problem. Yeah. Where the left is always trying to stand up for what it deems to be the working class, hmm. the poor, and you know, trying to create programs that help the poor people who are disenfranchised. Yeah. But yet, you see a large population of the disenfranchised who are white, 
feel alienated from the left because the left is unable to talk about them. Yeah. You know, the left sees uh, disenfranchisement in within the lens of identity politics, at yeah. least the modern left. You know, we have moved past the mm. time where it was merely class, you know, class warfare mm. to uh, a time where class warfare is modified by intersectionality. I would yeah. disagree with the word modified, but I would say overwhelmed hmm. by intersectionality so that class warfare is not really talked about so much. So that the left, which is supposed to represent the working class, has alienated a large portion of people, of its constituents, people who su are supposed to vote for hmm. them, rather vote for yeah. conservatives who do not have the interest of the working class at heart necessarily. And I think that happened for two reasons. One... I think when you look at the left, it's inconceivable to them that there are certain mega trends like uh, the digital technology revolution and the automation of certain jobs out of existence that affect people of different races, including white people. So in Baltimore, there's a, um, a loss of hope among many African-Americans, not all, but many. And the reason for that is because in the 70s and the 80s, at least they got to be part of it. There was racism there for sure, but they were able to uh, um, get employed in blue-collar jobs that gave them a chance to achieve the American dream. And now many of those jobs are automated out of existence, so you see a new generation coming up, and they're not finding any economic opportunities. And that kind of trend is also affecting the industrial heartland where you see a lot of industrial age jobs in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Minnesota, in Iowa, in uh, Ohio, in Pennsylvania, that have been, they've just been rendered obsolete because, by this technology revolution. And people of color are being impacted, we shouldn't underestimate that, but also white people are being impacted. And yet, according to the left, if uh, people of color are facing economic challenges, it can't be because of uh, mega trends that also impact white people. It has to be because of mega trends that are unique to uh, communities of color. Right. Uh, because of that assumption, there's this idea that uh, there's a, a tendency to say, okay, we're going to focus just on the problems of this community, but on the problems of that community. Mm. And also you see it in... Um, the Democrat debates, uh, where um, whenever they talk about poverty now, they usually end up bringing up, up a marginalized uh, group or number of marginalized groups that uh, are facing poverty. They're not just saying, well, if you're a poor person, this is how we can help you. We're going to come up with a new, uh, new deal that will uh, forge a career path that will allow you to achieve the American dream. And you could be white, you could be a person of color, you could be from any background. No, instead they just talk about unique constituencies. So they can say, okay, this is what I'll do to reach Latinos. This is what I'll do to reach African Americans. This is what I'll do to reach uh, Muslims. This is what I'll do to reach another community. And they're having conversations that aren't resonating with the American public because many Americans aren't having those same conversations. Right. And so there's a missed opportunity here to mobilize a lot of workers behind the Democrat banner because of the way uh, uh, many of these uh, candidates are talking about economic issues. Right. So we see here a problem fundamentally with political messaging. You know, we are missing out on constituents. We are letting people who 
have certain beliefs that align with our political messages for other parties and it happens mm. on both sides of the mm. aisle and i think that it's something that people ought to think a little bit more about yeah. not just people but at least political leaders ought to think a little bit more about yeah. and i i know that in sanders first election he tried to be populist in that sense you know not care so much about the fractures of society but you know that didn't turn out as well as it should for him yeah. and so because people in the establishment didn't want to hear that message mm. and so this election has has changed a lot he's it's a little bit more respectful of you know identity politics and appealing yeah. to individual constituencies in the way that traditional people political politicals expect him to yeah. be and perhaps that's working for him but mm. again we lose out on the larger conversation we lose out on engaging the public who yeah. we end up alienating the public and also bringing more people to, uh, together behind a certain idea mm. i mean i'm sure there's going to be uh, i'm sure identity politics is going to uh, Gar uh, resonate with uh, many white people in the United States, mm. either because they feel guilty about racism or because they truly sympathize with uh, communities of color. And that's great. But there's going to be other people who are also facing economic hardship who are saying, well, these people aren't really speaking to me. Mm. And, uh, and if I was to say, well, you know, I'm going through hard times too, there's going to be some other person who's going to say, well, you know what? You're still a person of privilege, <laughs> and you don't know what it's like to be an African American. Right. So, so in the end, I I, I try to think about ways ways in which, mm. for instance, conservative parties can shed this this mm. this image of being racist parties. You know, because yeah. it, it will help them. Yeah. It will help them a lot if they could shed this image. And part of it is not based in reality, while a lot of it is based in reality because, to mm. be honest, lots of racists was conservative. Yeah. However, you know, it's not entirely the case that every policy is, you know, cooked out of some racist ideas or something like that. And it would, it would help them to sell the mm. ideas to people of color, mm. to minority populations which are, are, are mm. a surging demographic in the west you know so i have to mm. think about ways and i have not been able to come up with a way in which they can shed their racist image well, I don't similarly know. on the yeah. west I, I can't think of a way in which they can mm. shed this image of not caring about you know I, white have, people, I, I, have I have some ideas i mean i don't have a comprehensive uh, action plan for how the conservative party can shed its image of uh, being intolerant but if you look at the united states i think there's a couple of ideas that come to mind. So part of the libertarian message is, well, we can't uh, have the government coerce people who own stores and tell them who they're allowed to sell to and who they're allowed to hire. And I think we need to recognize that um, government isn't the only institution that can be curbing individual freedoms. Uh, communities can curb individual freedoms. Uh, privately owned institutions could curb individual freedoms. And so I think there is a case to be made that uh, we have to make sure that all our institutions respect individual liberties, that uh, don't put a limit on individual freedoms. For instance, a person of color should be able to go into a restaurant and be served. They sh uh, that person should have that freedom. A person um, 
should be able to uh, have uh, an equal opportunity to be employed in a certain organization. Um, a person should not be barred from an event because he comes from a certain background and the community disapproves of him or her. Or if uh, we're going to be really politically correct, uh, uh, has yeah. an other identity. <laughs> and so I think uh, when uh, conservatives talk about expanding freedom for people, I think they need to think about it in that way. And then um, the second point I would add is that when they talk about economic grievances, it doesn't make sense to blame it on immigrants. I think that's another thing that needs to change because there's a lot of that happening. Um, and people don't know this, but the Trump administration, it's not just cracking down on illegal immigration anymore. It's making changes to the H-1B visa program that's making it harder for immigrants that came in legally into the United States to hold on to their H-1B visas and continue working there and making and contribute, uh, contributing to the economy there. And that needs to change too. We need to be able to identify accurately why there are economic grievances, economic problems in the United States. And it has to do with the fact that uh, we had this digital technology revolution. It created a lot of new jobs that have um, daunting uh, requirements in terms of skills. That sounds like Andrew Yang. And that Andrew many Yang. people don't have those skills. That sounds and, like Andrew Yang. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I'm missing Andrew Yang. Yang. I wish he, I wish he won. Uh, maybe uh, got like t at least 10 percent in Iowa or 15 percent in Iowa, and maybe something similar in New Hampshire, so he could still stay in the race. Uh, Andrew Yang, to his credit, he identified the problem. He correctly diagnosed the problem, and I think he would have been a made an invaluable contribution to the kind of debates that are happening within the uh, Democrat primary which unfortunately aren't happening anymore because Andrew Yang's gone. I think I, I disagree with you on But something he, you made earlier, the point you made earlier about communities restricting freedom right, yeah. and the government. I, I do think that communities restricting freedom is not entirely a bad thing. I think the government restricting freedom is necessarily a bad thing. But I think that social engineering on the communal level mm. it's, it's a perfectly okay thing and it, as long as people are free to choose the communities they belong to I think that's an, an, a necessary evil in a sense and I think that you know the radical mm. individualism of the past has you know eroded communities abilities to, 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 to police themselves in this morally in, in moral ways and mm. that's why people have resorted to the government to do this moral policing for them. Well, if you allow the community to call the shots, then you could have uh, segregation of, uh, let's say, cinema space, where uh, people of color are only allowed to be at the uh, top floor of a cinema. That's and not necessarily true, because, yeah. you know, a lot of these things are based on the worst case scenario, you okay. know, you know, the slippery, slippery slope, that, you know, if we allow people to be free, You're gonna, you're gonna make choices that we're not gonna like, hmm. which is not necessarily true. There might be individuals within the broader community who yeah. make such choices, but it's not true that there's gonna be a, a wide ranging free for all where everybody's gonna be making such I, choices. I believe that people should uh, have the freedom to make choices that we dislike. I, right. Well, where, where, where I have a problem is when uh, people uh, uh, use their freedom in order to restrict other people's freedom. Like a cinema owner deciding where people should sit in the cinema? Yeah, or uh, or restaurants deciding that they're not going to serve again, certain people. Again, 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 I'm pointing out that this is a worst case scenario. Yeah. I doubt that most restaurant owners in Canada, for instance, would suddenly want, oh, I only want black people to sit in this corner. It's unlikely, highly unlikely that that's going to be the case. 
Mm, right. So we cannot base our policy or how we are to run our systems based on you know what could the worst possible scenario be. Well, couldn't we have like a, a set of laws that would only guard against that kind of worst case scenario? No, I don't think and so. And then keep, uh, and then uh, allow uh, communities to have the autonomy in other areas? I, I believe that communities are able to police themselves and, and like markets are able to police themselves in that scenario, for instance. I think that, for instance, there are lots of progressives, lots of people who would not eat in a place that segregates, even though it yeah. doesn't segregate against them. And that's market consequences for such a scenario. Mm. So allowing people the mm. maximal amount of freedom, I think it's something that's fundamental for me. But yeah. I think we're deviating okay, off, okay. off the uh, But I, I would also say that, that I think of, that position would probably alienate a lot of people from the Republican Party. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree, I agree. And I, I also yeah. like to make a point about, sure. you know, what we should do, you know, you, you talked about, you know, people should be free to do certain things and what we ought to enforce. And that's, I think, another conversation we can have yeah. later. But to, to talk up back to the topic about, you know, political messaging, Yeah. you know, I think you, you, you've outlined some good ideas on how, you know, you can change your political messaging. But I think it's not something that can happen overnight. Yeah. It's going to take a very, very long time to shed that image of racism or to shed that Im image of being not representing the working class enough you know yeah and uh, or that uh, message of uh, we're going to be talking about uh, victimhood yeah, of it, certain groups and but not all Americans it's sad. look yeah. at someone like uh, what's his name Budigi. yeah yeah he, i think he is someone who exists in a very interesting space yeah. where he's not really about identity politics where his constituency there's a lot of identity politics in his constituency and that yeah. that creates some kind of friction yeah. I think it's people like that who who are in the right space hmm. to push ideas that are broad enough while receiving support from people who would traditionally oppose such yeah. ideas. You know, we talk of charismatic leaders earlier. Who people who traditionally oppose such ideas yeah. would not oppose it because it's him. You yeah. know that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think he's encouraging the sense that he's a moderate voice of the party. But even he does uh, this identity politics thing oh, by including Latino communities <laughs> whenever he's talking about economic <laughs> problems. And uh, everybody does it. I know, and I think they need just to talk about uh, people who are facing economic challenges, um, people who uh, are trying uh, are. Um, Having trouble making ends meet because they're it's, part of that gig yeah, economy. I think, I think it's okay to recognize that certain people are more harmed than others. Yeah. Certain groups and certain communities are more harmed than others. But whatever analysis you do, it must be an analysis that you know recognizes every section of the community of the country. Yeah. It can't simply identify certain groups and then leave out the other groups because what's happening is that they're leaving out a large section of the population. Yeah. You know, the, the analysis focuses on those minority groups and leaves out the rest. There's yeah. no, there's no, there's no conversation. And even, and even if you try to be politically correct, which is I presume what they're uh, trying to do. Even then, you fall short because you know what I noticed? Mm. Muslims weren't mentioned during that last uh, Democrat <laughs> debate. Does that mean that they don't matter? Right. I mean, uh, so that's what happens when uh, you talk about uh, distinct communities mm -hmm. and when you're talking about economic problems, rather than just talking about everyone who shares right. these problems. So that's why Yang's 
broad-based approach you yeah. know to everybody regardless of your yeah. religion regardless of your gender regardless of of you know your race regardless yeah. of their economic situation now that's that's a good approach i don't support yang i don't yeah. support yang but i see how he's yeah. able to talk to everybody regardless of who they are yeah i give I think uh, that's, that's a step in the right direction i give yang a credit for correctly diagnosing the problem i just don't buy his into yeah, a solution I, I of like a thousand dollars of basic <laughs> income a month i think what he needs to do is he needs to say look we're at this crucial stage where we need a new deal uh, the new deal in the great depression was finding a way to stimulate demand in order to get uh, the private sector hiring again but today it's different uh, in order to get the private sector hiring again you have to get equip people to skills Right, sets, right, right. So that uh, people, uh, so that uh, so that companies would want to hire them, right, right, and right. the government would want to hire them, mm. and so the New Deal is going to be focusing on upskilling people, mm. especially young people, and saying, you know what, before you go into university, uh, we're going to try to uh, uh, make you make uh, create networks for you that will allow you in order to obtain the skills that you need mm. and in order to be employed in this and innovation also ensure economy. That ensure that universities are producing skilled people because yeah. a lot of what universities are doing nowadays is producing degrees that don't have any skills attached to them. Yeah. I know, you know, that, that's something that... Yeah, they're run, they're run uh, like, uh, we've been talking about this a long time, that many of the universities, they're sort of run like corporations and they treat the students as customers. Right. And you can't do that mm. because um, when you're training students in order to be really skilled at a particular profession... Uh, that student is going to be studying really hard. Mm -hmm. That student is going to face all kinds of challenges, like trying to understand very complicated concepts. Mm -hmm. In other words, their customer satisfaction is going to decline. But that, that's so you can't uh, treat uh, a student the same way that you would treat someone who's thinking about buying a banana from you. That goes down to you know the concept of the university and what it's all about. You know, yeah. like is the university a place to train or people for skills or just a place to push knowledge for knowledge's sake? Yeah, and I think that a lot of universities are leaning on the knowledge for knowledge sake approach because you know mm. that makes them money and that's you know that's what a lot of people just want to push in knowledge for knowledge sake and they're not thinking they're thinking in the short term yeah. they're not thinking in the long term about you know how am I going to survive as a young person yeah. young people don't think about that and I think that's something that we can talk about some other time yeah all right I think this was a good conversation yeah and oh well i guess uh, the only thing i would add to that mm. uh is that i think because the democrats aren't having the same conversations as the larger country mm. i think uh, they might actually lose the next election that's yeah. coming up in 2020 because you're already seeing it that the turnout is pretty low at mm. uh, these primaries it's barely higher than it was in 2016 mm. in new hampshire for instance and low turnout normally suggests that there's a lack of enthusiasm and that can uh, lead to big uh, challenges for whatever wh whoever the nominee is mm -hmm. when they try to... Uh, I'm not going to call it yet. I think it's okay. still up in the air. But yeah, I I, I, I actually hope they lose, to be honest. You hope, I, to, I hope the Democrats <laughs> lose? I hope they lose. So that they learn their lessons. Yeah. I hope they lose. Yeah. Well, then we're going to pay. But I'm not, I, I, I'm not calling. I don't know if they're going to yeah. lose. I don't know who's going to win. But yeah, let's see. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to drive a lot of people over at this end of uh, the uh, 49th parallel uh, crazy, you know? It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Doug Ford's going to look like uh, uh, Satan at the end of another four years because of... Uh,
yeah. the way uh, because of Trump being horrible and us trying to find comparable Trumps inside Canada mm. to compare with Trump. Yeah, I think that's something to talk about. You know, yeah. Trumpian, the uh, Trumpian age for Canada because I've seen communities mm. die, literally die in Canada because you know factories closing. The same problems that heralded the age of Trump in the U.S. Yeah, I see those problems in many places in Canada, and I, and I see that there's going to be a Trumpian revolution sometime in the future if something's not done about it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, it could emerge from anywhere. Yeah. All right. End on a sad note. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs>